Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded to you. And so I just want to point something out. I've heard a lot of, um, a lot of sermons on the Great Commission. Raise your hand if you've heard one ever in your life. That's pretty much most everybody. And I think about pretty much every time I've ever heard a sermon on this, it's always been about three things. It's been about those words in yellow. It's always been about what should we do? What's the, what's the Great Commission calling us to do? What is the command that God is calling us to do? And it's always go baptize, teach. And that was fine, and I think that's scriptural. But when I really started to unearth what this passage is talking about and started looking at other people that are much, much smarter than myself and hearing what they have to say, they pointed something out in the Greek that I think is relevant. Now, mind you, I am not a Greek scholar. I've never taken Greek in my life. Some of you have, Josiah, maybe some other people. But here's what I've read, and I think this makes a lot of sense. In the Greek... The three words, go, baptize, and teach, are called participles, okay? And the word make disciples is an imperative verb. Here's why this matters. Think about this. The most important part of this verse, the most important verse, part of this command is make disciples, okay? And the go, the baptize, and teach are really emphasizing how that happens. They're pointing back to the command, okay? And so I think what happens as Christians when we look at this We think to ourselves, we're the body of Christ, we're all given different skills, some of us are evangelism, some of us are teachers, some of us just love on people and do mercy, and so what we naturally do is we say, well, which part of these go baptize, teach is my responsibility, right? We split them up, and we say, well, I'm a teacher. Well, I guess the the teaching part's mine, the go and the baptize part is somebody else, or the go part is me. But I'm not really big on teaching, or maybe I'm not really good at you know, seeing people come to know Jesus. So that's someone else's, someone else's duty. But the reality of this right here is that's not what the scripture is saying. This scripture is saying the command for each and every single one of us in this room who know Jesus is to make disciples. And the how we do that is to go to baptize and to teach. And so in light of that, we are all responsible for those three things. Like, we can't defer those out to other people. Our command, Jesus says, go make disciples. Here's how you do it. Go baptize, teach. Does that make sense to everybody? That's a very different way of seeing the Great Commission, but I think it's very accurate. And it, and it puts us in a place where we don't kind of placate our responsibilities to other people. That we take responsibility and say, this is my command to me as a Christian. Like the very first things out of Jesus' mouth were this. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Well, in light of making disciples, you probably are going to ask a question. The question that I asked as I was going through this was, what is a disciple? Audience participation this morning. All right. What is a disciple? And so I got my Webster's out online, of course, and uh, looked this up. Disciple, here's what it means. It literally means... Someone who accepts and helps the spread the teachings of a famous person. Now think about how this applies in our, in our world. You know, like I, I've, got a, I've got a friend who's very big into kind of this, this new weight loss craze or whatever. 
and it's like every single post I see on Facebook, it's like, live like no one else, or there's this little catchphrase or whatever. And she has literally become a disciple of this weight loss craze. Like every single post is on Facebook is that. And, and, and there could be other things. It could be, could be Mary Kay. It could be maybe for you, you are a disciple of big business. You are a disciple of being successful. So everything you talk about is related to that. You've accepted the teaching and you spread it to other people. Maybe it's leadership. There's a lot of leadership gurus out there. They're a disciple of John Maxwell or whatever that may be. And so there's a lot of different ways to do this. But when it comes to this passage in Matthew 28, we're talking about being a disciple of Jesus. And so let's put this in context. It says, so if it means someone is a disciple of Jesus, they accept and then they help to spread the teachings of Jesus. Makes sense, right? And so what did Jesus teach? Taught a lot of stuff. And we could spend a lot of time. We just kind of keep talking all week long, all month long, all year long. But let me get to the crux of it. Here's a few things. One, we are people spiritually dead, separated from God by our sin. And we are cursed to live that way forever. That piece, that problem is really why Jesus came, right? It's because he came in order to fix that small, not small, huge issue in our lives. And so he also went on to teach, God being a loving God sent Jesus, his only son, to pay for our sin debt against the Father. Because the reality of our sin is it is against God. So let me put it like this. And I was talking to Josiah about a week or two ago, and I was just telling him, like, I'm a really terrible preacher because I'm not real good at analogies and metaphors. And if you've ever been around Josiah for any length of time, it's like he just, all of a sudden there's a metaphor that comes out, and you're like, do you just make this up on the fly, or do you hear these things? Like, what is going on with you? And so I'm just not real good at that. And so I started thinking about, like, how can I make this understandable, this idea of our sin against God? And so I thought, okay, well, what if every single one of us, you know, not maybe not all at the same time, but at some point in time, we jumped in our cars, and uh, we headed down 74, and right at that inter- intersection at 7454, the light was red, and we just gunned it to go through. We're just like, I don't care if it's red, I'm going. And we just smash into somebody else who's coming up 74. We just like clobber them and destroy their car. And thankfully, they're okay. I know, it's a metaphor, it's an analogy. All right, and so we get out of our car, and we, if we have any source of humility in our lives, we go, that was totally my fault. And what do we instantly want to do in that moment? We want to make it right. Does that make sense? We want to, like, pay restitution. We're like, oh, we'll get your car fixed. You know, is your neck okay? We'll pay for your medical bills. Like, we want to make that okay in that moment. That is the reality of us. We are going through life like this maniac car going through the intersection, clobbering everything in our way. And all these sins that we have are really against the creator of the universe. We're just like smashing into him with our sins. Does that kind of make sense? That's who we are. And so our sin, just like our sin is against that other driver, like our sin is against God. Now, 
I think sometimes we can look at ourselves and say, well, what is my sin, really? I mean, I don't really do anything wrong. Like, what is so bad about how I live? And I think the greatest sin that we can have, okay, the greatest sin that we can have is living a life where we say that we don't need God. Does that make sense? That was the first sin. If you think back in the book of Genesis, the very first sin is that man and woman decided that they could live without God. And that's what started this whole entire mess that we live in today. And as a result of that, there's all kinds of things that happen, terrible things in our world that happen. And there's terrible evil things that happen in our world. But the reality is, is that when we choose to live separate from God, that is our greatest sin. And our sin is against God because we are rejecting him. Kind of make sense? So think about this car accident. Let's say we pull up, we get out of our cars, and then this random person walks up and says, don't worry about paying. I'll pay it for you. I'll take care of this. And so they fix the cars. They make sure everybody's okay. And then they say, you know what? Why don't you come over to my house? We'll all hang out. We'll become friends. Okay? And they just kind of broker this whole thing and happening. That's really who Jesus is. He comes into this, real, into this disaster, this, this broken relationship, and he steps in and he says, let me, let me fix this. Like, I've died on the cross for you, and I can restore this relationship with you and fix this problem. And so we have a choice at that point in time, don't we? We can choose to say, I got this. We put our hand up to the guy walking up to the car, and we say, I got this. I will take care of this problem right here. I don't need you. Or we can say, what an amazing, merciful, gracious, amazing offer that just lets me off the hook. And you accept it. That is salvation. That is what Jesus has come to do, to offer this free gift that's undeserving and to keep us from having to enter into the struggle of trying to reconcile our relationship with God. And so that's where we are right now. And so Jesus has entered in. What is his teachings? He's entered in and provided that way, right, to move us from death to life. He moves us from being separated from God to God's friend. And so we receive that payment for our sins by really, like, just through faith, we just accept it. And we say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Like, I, I, I want to be a disciple. I want to be a follower of you. That's what I want. And that's how it works. And so what does it mean to be a disciple? It's someone who accepts and helps other people to spread the teachings of Jesus. Got it? It's really pretty cool. So what does it mean to make disciples? That was the next part of this. So disciple is this and making disciples. A disciple maker is simply someone who just kind of replicates the process. Like they share the redemptive story, that redemptive story to other people. And then hopefully they respond, and then they help them to be like, hey, keep trusting in Jesus. Let, let Jesus change you, and then go tell someone else. That's a disciple maker. And that is what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to move from, some of us want to be a disciple, but we don't want to be someone who makes disciples. Does that make sense? There's definitely a difference between the two. And so how does he do this? How does God really make disciples? He makes it through each and every one of you all in this room, through relationships. 
I really do think that that is God's plan A for making disciples is us through relationships, okay? Not standing on a street corner being obnoxious and yelling and screaming at people and holding a sign, but entering into your workplace with the people that surround you who don't know Jesus, building relationships with them, showing that your life is different, and then telling them why it's different, so many people think that, well, I can just live like a great Christian in front of people and then they're going to miraculously come to know Jesus. That's probably not the case. At some point in time, you have to move into speaking the truth of God and speaking and being a disciple who shares about Jesus. Does that make sense to everybody? There is a line from being obnoxious to being loving. <laughs> It is. We have to progress and move from being just the obnoxious Christian who either, I think you can be obnoxious by being quiet. Like if we truly cared about the lost, don't you think we would eventually say something about their hope that they can have? And so here we are. That's where we are. This is what we're about. We're about telling people through relationships about how amazing God is and making disciples. So how do we do it? Here we go. Three, boom. Number one, we go. Back in Matthew 10, so we've flipped back about uh, 18 chapters, Jesus was sending out the, the apostles out to just the Israelites. He says, go, go tell these people about me, all right? And then something changed in Matthew 28. When it ch- the go changed from go to the Israelites to go to all the nations, go everywhere. And so we can learn something from this. We can learn that the gospel, okay, this whole making disciples is for everybody, okay? Everybody deserves to hear it. Jew, Gentile, every Islamic person, every person who does not know Jesus deserves to hear about it. Why? Because we know it's life-altering and changing, right? It changes who we are, and it changes our mission, it changes everything about us. And it gives us hope and purpose and meaning. And we're like, we want that for other people. And so we need to make disciples of all people without prejudice and without any sort of distinction. Well, I can't talk to them because of this problem. Or I can't talk to them because I might offend them in this way. We need to go. That's what Jesus is telling us. There are 9 million people that live in Georgia. And so I started pulling up some stats uh, last week. Uh, or the week before, so 9 million. Hopefully I get these numbers right, something like that. And I, I, what I went is, there's a little, uh, little chart I found that says, here's kind of like the breakup, religious breakup of these things. So I took every single person that, that is the, of the 9 million, and if it said anything related to, to Jesus in the religion, I pulled them out, okay? So now I have, only people I have left are people who are, would not pursue Jesus. So Hindu, uh, Islam, you know, anything related to those kind of religions makes atheists or whatever. And so here's the number. Those people make up 2,672,530 people in Georgia. Okay, so that's kind of like the minimum amount of people in our state, we could say, probably definitively don't know Jesus because their religion doesn't teach about Jesus. You guys follow me? Now, add to that... We live in the Bible Belt, right? And the Bible Belt is full of people who go to church on Sunday, 
and Wednesday and Sunday night and do some on Tuesday and are very busy, religious people, but don't really have a relationship with Jesus. And we have no idea who, how many people that is. Probably a ton. All that to say, the reality is at least one in three in the world that we live in right here in Georgia doesn't know Jesus. Think about when you meet three people through the day, one of those probably doesn't know Jesus. So, unless you work here at church, then that's probably different. No, I'm just joking. So, but the reality is that. And I look at that and I say, what an opportunity for us to make disciples and to encourage people to consider the amazing Jesus that we know. Let's make this a little bit bigger, all right? So uh, there's a map. It's going to go up on the screen, hopefully. Here it is. Okay, this is a map of um, kind of unreached people groups of the world. Everything is red indicates that there is really, in that community, there is no representative of the evangelical gospel. Y'all see the red? Shocking, isn't it? I looked at that, and I, I was devastated at this. That's India. There's a ton of people in India who don't know Jesus. A ton. And if you look where the, kind of that middle section, it's kind of through through Africa, and then through the Middle East, through India, and then kind of over into China. There is great, great opportunity for the gospel right there. And so here's where I think God is calling us this morning. I think he's calling us to a couple things. I think he's calling some of us just to go into the workplace and just to build relationships with people who don't know Jesus with the hope that someday soon you can tell them about the gospel. Right where you're at. Right where each and one, every one of us are at. And then I think there's probably potentially some people in this room that that moves your heart in such a, 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 an amazing way. And you will leave here today with that picture on your brain. And that will drive you to go there. I think it could happen. At some point in time, you'll have such a heart for lost people and go, there's such a great need for people to hear about Jesus that I would go there. And so I would encourage you to think about that this morning, to pray about that, to pray about, is God moving your heart? Which way? To move there and to build relationships with people and to see people come to know Jesus or to move into your workplace and build relationships with people and tell them about Jesus. This is your calling. So many times people kind of go, what is my calling or what is really God's will for my life? And the reality of it is this. Our calling is to go overseas or to go where you are and make disciples through healthy relationships centered on Jesus. That is your calling. That is God's will for you and for me. Does that make sense? It's pretty clear, isn't it? All right, let's go to the second part. How do we make disciples? We baptize, okay? Now, baptism is a really pretty, a, a really cool thing. Um, let's read Acts 2.38. It says this. It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Baptism, we believe, is a sign, okay? It's a, it's a symbol of what has actually happened in your heart. So when we talk about baptism, it is really connected to repentance. So when we say we need to go to the world with the hope that people would be baptized, which means they repent of their sin and they get baptized. These two things kind of go together. Now, is baptism required for salvation? Absolutely not. But is it an important thing? Absolutely. And you may be sitting here in your seat this morning going, I've repented of my sin and I'm entered into a relationship with Jesus, but I've never been baptized. And I would say you're missing out. And here's why you're missing out, is that you've never really publicly proclaimed through baptism in front of a group of people that you love Jesus more than anybody. That's what baptism is all about. It's about you going public with your faith and it becomes undeniable. Some of us don't really want that because it puts too much pressure and we think, okay, well now I've gotta be good. You know, people know that I'm a Christ follower and now I can't just kinda of hide my sin. Like, it's public. People are gonna look at me. And that's not what God wants for us. He wants us to be baptized. He wants us to repent. And so baptism is a sign of that repentance. Romans 6, 1 through 4 says this. It says, what shall we say then? And I love this verse. There's like a million things in here. Are we to continue in sin that grace may, be, that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We were baptized into his death. So think about when we baptize people. We baptize people, they go underwater, so it's a symbol of being like connected to the death of Jesus, right? We were buried therefore by him, with him, by baptizing him into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in the newness of life. It's a symbol of what Jesus has done, and we say, I align my life with the guy who died and raised. That's what baptism means. The symbol. Nothing magical about it, even though I think there are benefits in that it just gets you out of being stuck. Stuck just living a life where nobody knows that you're a Christian, even though you are. And so I would encourage you today, if that's you, we have a connect card in the seat in front of you. On the back, there's a little checkbox that says, I'd like to get baptized. And if you would like to respond in that way, sometime very, very soon, fill out your name, check that off, and we'll talk. It's that important, but it follows repentance. And so we should want to see people get baptized because we want to see people enter into repentance. We should want to sit in this room and see people come to know Jesus. If you've never experienced that, that is an amazing thing. It's life-altering when you see somebody move from not knowing Jesus to knowing Jesus. Raise your hand if you've experienced that. It's amazing. We should want that all the time. Now it's up to God. But if we just keep our mouths shut, probably, I don't know, God's going to have to work through other people. Why not be us? So this is your calling. Here it is. One, to pray that people respond to the gospel. Pray that people come to know Jesus. Two, pray that people would tell other people about the gospel, that, that, that we would be so 
courageous that we would broach the topic with somebody that we love. Let me tell you about my failure here. Um, I've been married 20 years, dated Janelle for three years before that. So my father-in-law, um, who will never listen to this podcast, by the way, so it's no big deal, but uh, he, he's a great guy. He's a great guy, and he's been a great dad that, to my knowledge, does not know Jesus. And in 23 years, I've yet to tell him. So if there's a failure, I think that's it. But our failures can't be met with excuses. And I think every time I get together for a very long time, I think to myself, Jesus, and I pray, just give me an opportunity to share about my love for you and how he can have that. So if there's ever a bad model, that's the bad model. And so I would encourage you to think about that and think about the opportunities you have. So pray that people would respond Pray that you would tell people, and the last one, pray that people would go public with their faith, that people would get baptized who've already repented, but they've just never taken that step and been, I just need to get baptized just so everybody knows that I love Jesus. That is also our calling. Third thing, teach. I think this is one thing probably that we think that we do well, but we probably don't. Are we seeking... Are we seeing people who are living in obedience to Jesus as a result of their faith? So many people come to faith and then they just fizzle. I remember a guy I used to work with and um, he came to me one day and he's like, hey, I became a Christian last night and he was so excited. And I was like, well, let's keep talking. That would be amazing. And in about two months, that was gone. And he just fizzled. And I was like, what's up with that? Like, why does that happen? I don't think that's the way God intended for this whole thing to happen. Let me read you another part of this verse uh, out of Romans 5. says this, So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's the one that may hit you. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. I just wonder how many people in this room, if you think about your life right now, are you letting sin control you? Have you become a slave to that thing in your life? And instead of trusting in Jesus and praying that Jesus would just like come in and just revolutionize your life and change you and, and make you pure like himself, that we just continue to live in it. Because I think a lot of us are probably really good at keeping a good secret as long as it's our own. You know what I'm saying? I think a lot of us have figured out how to manage our relationships and to live in different worlds. I get this group of friends, I do this. I got this group of friends that are Christians, I do this differently. When I go home at night, I look at these things. Nobody ever knows. Or I go cheat on my wife, nobody knows. Whatever that may be. Or it may mean that you're just a lustful person. It may mean that you're just a controlling person. It may mean you're just a selfish person. It may mean that you just like, you just are driven towards comfort. Like everything has to be perfect and you have to have the perfect house and the perfect place. And if you don't have it, you're trying to do everything you can to move to that neighborhood. 
Those are all sin. Those are all things that we're trying to replace what's best. And what's best is God, because God provides the better thing. And so I wonder if that's kind of where we are living. Um, I've had some friends of mine who I've had many conversations with who will tell me that they are a believer, um, but then um, hold on to this sin over here and just hold on to it and hold on to it and hold on to it. And they have become a slave to that sin. And they're stuck. And I can't, the question I ask is like, what do you love more? Do you love Jesus more? Or do you love the sin that is controlling your life more? Which one is it? Those are very real things. And many of us might be living in that right now. It's hard. But Jesus is capable. And Jesus can help us to overcome those things. We need to teach people how to surrender more of their lives to the gospel. It's a process. Jesus, we, I think the Holy Spirit identifies things in our lives, and then we respond by surrendering those to God and having him, letting him help us. We need to teach other people the magnitude of these things, the magnitude of sin, the magnitude of the cross, of the church, of our creator, of his plans, of his love, of his mercy, of his grace, of his patience, of the magnitude of God's guidance and will in, in our lives, the magnitude of his sovereignty, that God is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and that the church is his communication vehicle to the gospel. And when I say church, I mean Christians. We need to teach other people that we need to pursue justice in our world. I think that's an important thing in areas like abortion or human trafficking. Like, sometimes I think we just sit back and we just kind of let this stuff happen and we don't ever say anything about it. It's a tragedy and these things are evil. And so we need to teach people to take a stand on those things and point people to Jesus. We have to teach other people how to care for each other. That's why we do community groups, how to walk through hardships with each other how to be known by other people so that we don't live these secret lives, how to be vulnerable with other people, and how to share our faith. How do we have those conversations? How do we bring those up? Well, chances are you're probably not going to figure it out on your own, so you might as well talk to somebody else about it. J.D. Greer really had some uh, practical, I don't know if you know who J.D. Greer is, but he's a pastor at Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, and he had some practical steps that I think uh, answer the question of how can we respond to this command to make disciples? And here they are. One, there's six of them. Own your assignment. Just own the fact that you are where God has put you right now. Own your assignment and respond to it. Does that make sense? Like where you are is not like, well, I don't really want to be there. I want to be here. Like be content with where God has you right now and figure out how do you make disciples there. One. Two, understand the method. The method is life on life. That's the way that we enter into, the gospel enters into the lives of other people is through us. So we have relationships with people. We do life with them. We have them over for dinner. We go hang out with them. We do life together. And through those relationships, we tell them about Jesus. Three, be ready with a plan. I think some of us have gotten so busy. I, if I ask, ask that question, I'm not going to ask. Don't raise your hand. How many of you guys would say that you are busy? every hand would probably go up. And then you say, how many people would say that you are too busy? 
almost probably every hand would also go up. So the question is, is what is your plan for making disciples if you are so stinking busy? Do you need to get rid of stuff? I need to quit doing that. Or do you need to use the things that you are currently doing and leverage those to reach other people? You know, maybe your kid is like mine. Your kid's in ballet, right? Um, I know mine is. And one of the cool things, it's really kind of funny, but uh, Janelle goes, and and I'm going to brag on her for a minute because I think she's doing, it's a great example of, of what we should be doing. She goes to ballet. Isabella goes in, does her little thing, and she sits out in the hall and talks to other moms. And these moms are just telling them all about their stuff. One lady's just telling her about how her, you know, She's leaving her boy, living boyfriend, and, she's, and like all these things have come up. And I'm like, wow, what a great way to leverage ministry. And a lot of you guys are doing exactly the same type of things. Like, what are you currently doing that you can invite people into? Or what can you get rid of so that you can have people over for a meal? Or meet up with you on Sunday? Or invite them to come here? How can you leverage what you already have going on to make disciples? It's a great question, how be ready with a plan. For make the invitation. You actually have to invite somebody to do it once you have a plan. So just go ahead and invite them. Five, stop making excuses. That's a big one for all of us. We make excuses. The biggest one is, I don't know enough. What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? They're going to. It's going to happen. You're not going to know the answer to every question and have the best rebuttal for every question that there is. It just isn't going to happen. But in our weakness, that's where we pursue Jesus and we say, just give me the words I need for this moment. Help me. We pray about that and we just do the best we can because we're being obedient to the command to make disciples. We care for those people. We love them. So quit making excuses. I don't have time. I don't know what to say. I'm not an evangelist. I used that one for a long time. That's someone else's gift. You are. You are an evangelist. I am. Someone else might be better at it, but you are still an evangelist, whether it be a really terrible one. But number six, start today. Start somewhere. Just do it. How many of you guys are the I'm going to wait till Monday starters. Lots of people, I know. Some of you guys even procrastinate further and say, I'll start in 2016, like next January. That's when I'll do it, you know? But start now. Start right now. When you go home today, develop a plan. Think about what you want to do. Think about how you can leverage your life today. Text some people when you get done with church. Be like, hey, let's go do lunch. Invite them into what you're already doing. Do it. Just start now. Start today. This is your calling. Those three things. Go, baptize, teach. Go overseas. That might be your calling. Go where you are. Tell people about Jesus through healthy relationships. Two, this is your calling to pray that people would respond to the gospel. Pray that you would tell people about the gospel. Pray that people would go public as a disciple and that they would get baptized. This is your calling, to teach people to surrender their entire lives to Jesus and make disciples. These are things you're called to do. 
every one of us, if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, we hope you enter into this process because it's important. Jesus will change your life from the inside out. I guarantee it. Everything we do here on church, Sunday service, community groups, kids ministry, student ministry, connections, events, parties, meals, trainings, partnership, everything that happens here is to further the mission of making disciples. Everything. It's so that we can do it together and we can send you out to do it individually. That's the point of this whole entire thing of us being the church is to make disciples. Y'all got that? So it is the core of who we are, it is the core of our mission as we move forward. It is our calling corporately, it is our calling individually. And because Jesus is of all authority, because Jesus is God, and because Jesus says that he is with us always, we can do that. You see why those other two verses are so important? If Jesus was not God, then why would we obey his command to make disciples? If Jesus was not God, how could we really believe that he would be with us always? If Jesus was not raised and was a dead God, how could we believe that he is with us always? That doesn't make any sense, does it? But because he is, we can have assurance and faith that God is with us in those moments, we have those awkward conversations and those good ones. He's still with us. And he can take things that we go away and we go, man, that was messed up. Like, I didn't do that good at all. And then all of a sudden, weeks later, you, this person's like, hey, I really appreciated our conversation we had. That was amazing. And you're like, what? That doesn't make any sense at all. But I think Jesus can do that because he is all authority. And he's with us. And so I think today, the call today is just to respond to our calling. To just to step in and just be full on committed to be a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples and just says, my life is yours. Take it. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us Find further resources and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.